We'll begin our reading in verse 1 and read through to verse 18, 1 Samuel chapter 1. Verse 1, let's all hear the Lord's word. Now there was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophim of Mount Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Joram, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, a Nephrathite. And he had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. And this man went up out of his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priest of the Lord, were there. And when the time was that Elkanah offered, he gave to Penina his wife and to all her sons and her daughters portions. But unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb. And her adversary also provoked her sore, for to make her fret, because the Lord had shut up her womb. And as he did so year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. Then said Elkanah, her husband to her, Hannah, why weepest thou? And why eatest thou not? And why is thy heart grieved? Am not I better to thee than ten sons? So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh and after they had drunk. Now Eli the priest sat upon a seat by a post of the temple of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul, and prayed unto the Lord, and wept sore. And she vowed a vow, and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid, and remember me, and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. And it came to pass, as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli marked her mouth. Now Hannah, she spake in her heart. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she had been drunken. And Eli said unto her, How long wilt thou be drunken? Put away thy wine from thee. And Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Count not thine handmaid for a daughter of Belial, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I spoken hitherto. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace. And the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. And she said, Let thine handmaid find grace in thy sight. So the woman went her way and did eat, and her countenance was no more sad. Amen. God bless the public reading of his precious word for his name's sake. Would you bow your head with me for a moment? Ask the Lord to speak to you, to us all. Let's pray. Father in heaven, in Christ's name, we lay ourselves before thee, confessing our great need of hearing from thee. A word custom fit for every soul. Speak, Lord, we pray. Fill thy servant with the Holy Ghost. Bear him along in this message. And when all is said and done, our eyes will be refreshed with a fresh vision of our Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. 
A number of years ago, I read the story of a middle-aged woman who came to see a pastor for counseling. It wasn't her own pastor, but it was another one in town. She was neatly dressed, though the pastor could see that her dark blue suit and pink blouse were faded, old. Her blonde hair had streaks of gray through it, and the lines in her face seemed more from pain and sorrow than from age. When she sat down in the chair in front of his desk, he could see that she was very upset. And as soon as he began to speak to her and asked her what she wanted to talk about, he said her lips began to quiver and her eyes filled with tears. After regaining her composure, we'll call her Janice, Janice began to tell her story. She said to him, I find myself living a yo-yo existence. I want to live for the Lord, but my emotions get in the way. My friends at my church told me my suffering is the result of my sins. Honestly, I've searched my heart, and I don't know anything in my life that would cause God to punish me like this. I've trusted in God's sovereignty ever since I received Christ as my Savior over 20 years ago. When my husband and I first got married, we established a Christian home. Our children were dedicated to the Lord at birth, and we were a happy family. We were diligent in our church attendance. Our sons and daughters went to the children's programs and everything else the church had to offer. My husband is a God-fearing man and worked long and hard to provide for us. About 12 years ago, our world began to fall apart. First one tragedy and then another struck our home. Our younger son, barely in his teens, was drowned. A year later, almost to the day, one of our twin daughters was struck down by a car and killed. All of this so affected our oldest son that he tried to overdose on drugs. Because he was in construction, my husband was not able to carry on because he had a stroke. It was not job related, so he was let go. He's been unemployed ever since. And I, who never worked a day outside the home and had no skills, had to get a job. My remaining daughter blamed the deaths of her brother and sister and the condition of her father upon God. She turned her back on the Lord and began keeping company with those we would not approve of. In the course of time, she became pregnant to the trials we were already facing there was added the smell of dirty diapers and the chore of late night feedings. I've prayed and prayed for God's help, but nothing seems to change. Our lives have become a continuous struggle to survive from one paycheck to the next. I no longer have the leisure time to, for Bible study I once enjoyed. I used to be so happy. Now I'm almost always depressed. I feel as if I have failed the Lord. And then in a voice that was barely audible, she added, and I feel as if he's forsaken me. What would you say to this woman? Those were hard times. What counsel would you give her? I feel I have failed the Lord and that he has forsaken me. You ever felt like that? Have you? 
I dare say that you would entertain the thought, if you had gone through what she had gone through, that God is against you. It at least would have crossed your mind that there's something very wrong with you to have to go through situations like that. I'm certain that would be the kind of response of so many Christians because this is one of Satan's most oft-used lies to destroy the trust and the confidence that believers have placed in God. That's what he's always after, to destroy your trust and confidence in God. From the very beginning, the question was, hath God said? It was to the Hebrew Christians that were undergoing some real fiery trials. Trials that you and I have never had to experience. That Paul would write, cast not away your confidence that hath great recompense of reward. Let's turn for a moment from the story of Janice to another lady. Her name is Hannah. She'd been going through a very hard and difficult time for years. No no doubt, having to share her husband with Penina was no picnic. But the real painful thorn in Hannah's side was that she was childless, verse 2. For a Hebrew woman to be barren was not only viewed as a disappointment, but she was seen as one who was dishonored by God. The promise of God to Israel in Deuteronomy 7.14, Thou shalt be blessed above all people. There shall not be male or female barren among you. But Hannah was barren. And there was Penina. With plenty of children. How would you feel? To make matters worse, Penina was a... She was a jealous, sadistic sociopath. And I'm being kind to her. Who enjoyed seeing Hannah become distraught and vexed in her soul. It made her day when she could bring Hannah to tears because of her barrenness. She was sick. And she rubbed the salt deep into the wound when she would argue that the Lord had shut up her womb and had cursed her. And you hear this day in and day out. Week in and week out, month in and month out, year in and year out. Give insight into how spiteful and godless Penina was. She did this when they went up to the house of God yearly to worship. That's how the devil is, you know. He tries to get his digs in when you're headed out the door to worship. You all know about that, don't you? Some are honest enough to smile right now, and that lets me know they get it. Others of you perhaps just, I know the devil. I know how he works. Anything he can do as you go to worship God, to get your mind distracted and off the Lord, he will do. Hannah could not understand why God was allowing this to happen. It seemed so unfair. It seemed so unloving. And what's more, she had no control over the situation. She couldn't make her womb fertile. And she surely couldn't control Penina. 
It, didn't, it, it did seem like God was against her. And that's what I want to say a few things about this morning. What do you do when God seems to be against you? I mean, folks, you could come to that conclusion very readily as a little work, right? I've been where you are. Is God not for us? Is God not with this work? Why? Why is there not a man called? Why are there not people coming in? Why the barrenness? What are the questions you have to face? You have to deal with. And it can seem God is just not for us. What do you do? Number one, remember that God's purpose to bless often begins with a purpose to distress. His purpose to bless often begins with a purpose to distress. The one who was going to turn the nation back to God was about to be conceived, and that was Samuel. Things were going to change in a big way in Israel. But the circumstances surrounding that great blessing were going to be marked by awful trouble and distress. The old saying is, it's darkest before the dawn. And scripture bears this out from cover to cover that we might not forget it. Allow me to remind you, please, of a few notable instances in the word of God where we find his purpose to bless is preceded by a purpose, a plan, an intention, an intention to distress his people. Well, there's Jacob at Peniel, Genesis chapter 32. You know the scene as he returns to Canaan with his wives and his children and all of his flocks. He gets word that Esau is headed his way with 400 men. He can only imagine what's about to happen. Why are you coming to meet me with 400 men? It's not a, a kind welcoming party. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. Let me tell you folks something. Esau and those 400 men would have not be headed to meet Jacob with whatever their intentions were had that not been part of the Lord's plan. It would not have happened. This was all part of Jehovah's plan for Jacob. There were things that Jacob had to learn, had to experience. And it was going to happen apart from this distress that the Lord put him under. In the purpose of God, that that. Distress was the forerunner of one of the greatest blessings that Jacob ever enjoyed at the hand of God when he was wrestling with the Lord and said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. And he finds his name changed from Jacob, which means twister, supplanter, deceiver, to Israel, prince with God. What a change. Don't you think it was worth it? Don't you think it was worth it to have that distress to experience penile? We don't think like that. I almost said, give me sunshine every day, but here, that's, you don't really appreciate that. But you get the drift. Cloudless skies, smooth sailing, no problems. Little hiccup here and there is okay, but don't bring great distress into my life, Lord. Jacob comes up again ten chapters later. Forty-two. Genesis. After hearing from his sons that Simeon is being held back as prisoner in Egypt and his sons, if they're going to get Simeon back, they have to take Benjamin. Benjamin. His little boy, so to speak. They have to take him back with them. 
What is Jacob's? I mean, this, this broke this man's heart. He is convinced, I am never going to see Benjamin. There, there, there is Joseph. He's gone. And this other boy, from the love of my life, I'll never see him again. What's he say? All these things are against me. He was really saying God's against me. But God's purpose in sending those very stressful things into his life was in order that he might bless Jacob's eyes with the sight of his beloved Joseph again. That thought never crossed his mind. He had given up hope of ever seeing Joseph again. But it was through this distressing time that was preparing the way for seeing Joseph. The purpose to bless preceded by a purpose to distress. What about the children of Israel and Egypt? They're in bondage. Pretty bad. They were living in a desert. We were discussing that on the way coming in. You folks just live in a desert. It's what it is. It's a desert. There's buildings and everything. It's got AC. But you're living in a desert. Can you imagine? You don't have any AC. You're in a desert. And you're making bricks all day. God sends Moses. He sends Moses to Pharaoh. He says, let my people go. That's what Jehovah's word is. Well, Pharaoh wants the same amount of bricks, but provides no straw. They've got to find their own. And the people, as you can understand, are in anguish of heart. We thought this was deliverance, but no, no. And, and Moses is distressed. Listen to what Moses says. Lord, wherefore hast thou so evil entreated this people? Why is it that thou hast sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in thy name, he hath done evil to this people. Neither hast thou delivered thy people at all. You have not done what you said you would do. Why are you doing this? He was in distress. But God was about to deliver his people from Egypt in a way that defied imagination. Distress before the blessing. How about Naomi in the book of Ruth? Because of the famine in the land, she goes to dwell in Moab a Gentile area, which they should have never done. But she does. There God takes away the life of her husband and her two sons. She has two daughters-in-law herself. And I can tell you it was a very distressing and dark time. But he was about to bring Naomi and Ruth into tremendous blessing. Not only so, but to arrange circumstances so that there would be a Gentile in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Boaz and Ruth. Amazing. Well, we could spend a lot of time, I guess looking at how often God sends these distressing times before he sends blessing times. You could look at those disciples in the ship that was filling with water while Christ was asleep in the hinder part of the ship. We're going to perish. He just stood up and they saw an act of power they had never seen in their lives. What manner of man is this? Or Peter singing in the water. That was distress. I'm going to drown. Lord, save me. You had to feel that distress, Peter. I could have kept you walking on that water the whole time. Even though you put your eyes upon the wind and the waves, I could have kept you walking on that water. But I didn't. 
You need to feel the distress first. Mary Magdalene at the tomb. How distressed she was. I'll never see him again. Tell me where you've taken my Lord. And he says to her, Mary. And then there were those disciples just hiding behind the closed doors because of fear of the Jews, scared to death, distress. And then Jesus steps into the room and everything changed. If we would but remember this when life's circumstances become a mystery to us and we don't understand why the Lord is bringing distress into our lives. You know what you ought to be doing? Expecting and looking for the blessing. Not expecting things to go from worse to worse. But that's what we do. And we're good at it. The heartache, the trouble, the distress are just forerunners of blessing. God is not against you. He's very much for you. I I don't know when and I don't know how, but I do know that when God says he will bless his people, he will bless them. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. So when God appears to be this adversary, not only must we remember that it's the purpose of God so often to distress before he blesses, remember in the second place, you must retread that old path You must retread that old path of trust in the Lord to be led from distress to delight. You've got to go down that path and it will lead you from distress to delight. Cowper also wrote this line in that hymn, Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. Unbelief is sure to err and completely misinterpret what God is doing. Unbelief will keep you from thinking biblically. Unbelief will lead you to think unkind thoughts about God and what he's doing and why he's not doing certain things that you think he should be doing. Unbelief will always err. So when, like Hannah, you can't understand what God is doing and why he is doing it, (laughs) don't sit there and try to just use human logic. Well, this and this means this. Nonsense. It's foolishness. It's foolishness. You're wrong. You're dead wrong to go down that path. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not on thine own understanding. You know the verse well. You could finish it out. In all thy ways, in all thy paths, acknowledge him. And he will direct your path. You can count on it. might not be when you want it or when you think it should happen. But my God is not a liar. Your God is not a liar. He does not deceive his people.
This book from God tells us that it, so many places, but the way to overcome when we are overwhelmed is by faith. Funny, isn't it? It takes us to get to the place where we are overwhelmed. We have to be, it seems, overwhelmed. We have to be put into a place where we are at the absolute, at our wits end, the end of ourselves. And we can't do anything. Then... We cry to God. Psalm 61, verse 2. When my heart is overwhelmed, David said, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. What's the rock for? The rock is to lean on something solid. It's about trust. Faith. Psalm 27, 13, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I had fainted. But by faith, I had trusted in God. Job 13, 15, Job wrote, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And brothers and sisters, he uttered those words, in circumstances I can't begin to grasp. But here's the question. What does faith in God look like in real time? Talk about trust the Lord all day long. Use those terms, throw them about. It can become jargon. What's it look like? That's what I want to know. What does our faith in God look like in times of distress so that it leads us from distress to delight? Well, let's look at Hannah. She went from distress to delight. How did it happen? First, like Hannah, if we're going to go down this path, this road, like Hannah, we will wrestle with the Lord in prayer. Emphasis, emphasis upon wrestle. After the meal, she had no appetite, really. She went to the temple of the Lord, verse 10. It says, In bitterness of soul, and prayed unto the Lord, and wept sore. The word bitterness in the Hebrew means pain. Her soul was in pain. It hurt. Her heart was hurting. And out of that deep pain, she, it says, wept sore. A wooden translation of that phrase, wept sore, would be, she wept, wept. That's how the Hebrew reads. It's often done that way to emphasize something really vast. Uh, Here, thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. The word perfect is not in the text. Thou wilt keep him in peace, peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. Full peace. Or the prayer of Jabez. Oh, that thou wouldst bless me indeed. Indeed is not in the text. You know what he said? Oh, that thou wouldst bless, bless me. She wept, wept. Many, many, many tears. Her eyes were a fountain of tears. And in between, in the middle of those two descriptions we have of Hannah, we read that she prayed unto the Lord. When you put that in that textual context, 
You find she was really wrestling with the Lord in prayer. She was crying unto him, pleading with him. She's not only pouring out her tears before God, but pouring out her heart. It was her distress. It was her present circumstances, her inability to understand what God was doing and why he was doing it that led her to pray in such a way. It drove her to him, not away from him, but to him. To pray and to weep. Why did she do this? Why would you pray like that? Because she believed God. What what do I glean from this chapter when I say because she believed God? Well, I'll tell you folks something. She could not pray like this if she first did not believe that the blood sacrifice that had just been offered up to God was accepted. Meaning she was accepted. That was the basis of her praying. The blood sacrifice. The blood that would cover the atone for the sins of his people. Not, of course, as we sang, no blood, no altar now. Those are all typical of the shed blood of Christ. But she believed that. How in the world can you pray in faith? How can you pray with any kind of confidence? Like, I mean, this is what she... And when you're praying like this, when you're pouring out your heart like this, when you're weeping before God like this, and you must have what you're praying for, you're only doing that if you believe you're accepted in God's presence. You go and try to pray like that and you wonder if God even has any time for you. You go ahead and try it. Pray with confidence. How are you going to do it? I'll tell you what will happen. Your sins will march, be marched right before your face and that's all you'll see. What you have done wrong, how you have not lived as you ought to have lived. And you're such a failure. God's not going to listen to you. That's the devil's mantra. You got to go down this path. She obviously believed that God had not forsaken her. Why would you pray to a God whom you were convinced had forsaken you? She believed that God would listen to her cries. And she believed that no one but God could help her. And so she, she's wrestling with the Lord. She cries and pleads with him, just like Jacob did at Peniel. She was like David when he said, Out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord. She was like Jonah in the belly of the great fish. I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heardest my voice. You want to know why I think you haven't gotten whoever you is? Put your name there if you like. Because I don't know your circumstances. But I do know that this is a common occurrence in the Lord's people. You haven't gotten to praying like Hannah's praying. A holy desperation. You're weeping and you're crying. You're pleading and you're begging. Because you believe God's the only one who can answer. You believe you're accepted. You believe he will hear you. That's how this little work must come to pray about a minister, about its future.
30 years I've been behind the pulpit. I'm being straight up with you. This is how you must pray. Distress to delight takes this path. The Lord did it, did he not? He was in the garden, Gethsemane. Distress that you and I can't ever understand because we're not God. His heart was filled with sorrow, so much so he thought it would break. Fathers forsaking him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly. Brothers and sisters, that verse has always stymied me. I would have thought that Jesus would have prayed perfectly earnestly every time he prayed. But he prayed more earnestly. And the angels came and ministered to him. Matthew Henry said, how many dry prayers, how few wet ones do we offer up to God? Are we ashamed to weep? You know, you can't, well, unless you're a good actor or actress, you can't turn tears on and off. They come from the heart. When through distress we are brought low, it will be through faith in God to bring us out of that distress and into peace and joy. That's one aspect of what faith in real time looks like, going down this path to get from distress to delight. There's a second. Trust in God will lead us to humbly submit our wills to the will of the Lord. Notice how she refers to herself in verse 11. Three times, three times as handmaid. Means maid servant. I'm your maid servant. I'm your maid servant. I'm your maid servant. That's Humility. She understands her place. Again, if thou wilt, she says, if you are willing, it is your will that really matters here. I only ask for this child if you are willing to give him. So Hannah believes that the Lord, and it's repeated in verses 5 and 6, she believes that the Lord has, the Lord has shut up her womb. She believed with, with, with Job that the Lord is the one who gives and the Lord is the one who takes away. She knew that it was the Lord who gave Penina those children. And it was the Lord who had shut up her womb. She knew that. Bring this truth, the fact that Hannah has submitted to the will of God. Bring, bring this truth into any area of life where you are in distress because God is withholding something that, something good, that you desperately feel that you need. That you want. Have you said, Lord, if you are willing and only if you are willing, or has it been a case where you keep saying, Lord, if you don't do this, I just can't go on. I'm through. There's no point in praying. There's no point in laboring anymore. Which one? You kind of throw in the towel. 
without ever saying I've thrown in the towel. Oh, at one time you were so fired up. But distress has come. And things haven't worked out like you thought they would. And things perhaps have even gotten more difficult. And you're thrown in the towel. Well, that's unbelief. That's just how unbelief acts. Faith would not act like that. Faith bows to the sovereign will of God. Faith believes, you see, that what God does is always best. He doesn't make a mistake. And we rob ourselves of that happiness, of that peace of mind, when we, in one way or another, refuse to resign our wills to the will of the Lord. How in the world do we ever expect to have any kind of delight, any kind of peace, any kind of joy when we are not resigning our wills to the will of the Lord? I mean, how do you, how do you expect to be happy, brothers and sisters, if you're butting heads with the will of God? You folks who've raised children are raising children. Are you listening? Is it, is it a great time in your house when the kids are butting heads with your will? Oh, things are just going peachy keen in my house. Children are in rebellion, but hey, praise the Lord. No, you know it's not like that. Why? Because there are wills that are being just like this. How would you expect it to be Peaceful. No, it's when you have the obedience and the submission to the will. That's when things settle down. Hannah did not murmur about her circumstances. She didn't complain about them. She didn't get angry at God because he had shut up her womb. Didn't get mad at him. In spite of Penina. It had been an easy thing to do for the flesh. There's Penina, this wretch of a woman. And she's got all these kids. And I fear God. And I call upon the Lord. I don't have one. It's not fair. She didn't do that. It's the devil who wanted Hannah to, like Job, curse God. Curse him. The Puritan Thomas Watson said, Listen carefully now. Our murmuring is the devil's music. How right he was. It's music to his ears. When Satan hears God's people murmuring about the Lord, about what he's doing, about the circumstances he places us in. Music to his ears. You know, one thing I know about you, you do not want to sound like you're giving music to the devil's ears. That's not what you want. When faith, by faith, we're led to humbly submit to the will of the Lord, it will protect us from bitterness against God for what he's doing and also bitterness against others for what they do. Toward us. Another Puritan Thomas, this time it's Thomas Manton, he said, Murmuring is a renouncing of God's sovereignty 
as if we could correct his ways and do better and fitter for the government of the world. And I would add, for our lives. We would do it differently. That's what murmuring against God's ways is really saying. We would do it better. And you know that's not true. When God appears to be against you, depend on him to always do what is best and right. Trust him. He will always do what is best and right. And that will lead you from distress to delight. Third and finally, what does it look like, this faith, this path you have to walk down? Trust in God will lead us to want the blessing for his glory. Now you come to Hannah. She vows a vow to God, give me a son and I will give him back to you. He'll be a Nazarite his entire life. She deeply wanted a son. But now the Lord has brought her to a place where she wants a son, not simply for personal joy and gratification. She doesn't make her own want the end of her existence. I'm going to give this son to you for your glory. That's when God, through Samuel, says, The Lord grant your request. You got it. It was now no longer about her. Got to have a boy. Got to have a child. But Lord, give me a child. I want one. And I'll give the child to you. So the woman went her way and did eat. And her countenance was no more sad. God, write that word. By his grace on our hearts for his name's sake. We bow our heads in prayer. Let's seek the Lord together. Father in heaven, we thank thee for thy word and for the spirit of God who brings it home to our souls. Grant abounding grace, Lord, to all of us to trust everything with thee to believe from the depths of our souls that thou art always going to be wise and gracious and loving in everything thou dost bring into our lives that we might go from distress to delight In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.